Hello and welcome to While You Were Steeping, a curatorial tea and culture podcast. I'm Michael Mandelios. And I am Hayden Rogers. We've got another amazing interview for you this week. We're chatting with Hilary White, the founder of Elmstock Teas in Western Australia. Hilary founded the company over 55 years ago, and his family has been in tea for six generations. So, of course, you may remember Elmstock as the very first tea that we tried on this show. So it's really exciting little full circle moment for us today. Um, So pull up a cup of tea and let's get started. Okay, and here with us we have the founder of Elmstock in WA, Hilary White. Hilary, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Thanks, Michael. Nice to be with you. It's great to have you here. We're very excited to chat to you. Hi, Ed. Hello. <laughs> it sounds like there's a whole a whole legacy that we're about to find out yeah. about, and I'm really excited. So what can you tell us about how Elmstock uh, came to be born and how you specifically got started with it? Well, at the age of 17, I joined a a company in Colombo, which is very much like a successor, one of the successor companies to the East India Company. They did everything. And they they had tea plantations, and I worked in the tea plantation or the estates department of that company at 17. I mean, uh, it was quite interesting because you you learn all about the plantations and how they work. Um, The family had been in tea for five generations before that. They'd come originally from places like France and England and and Holland and places like that to grow sugar. And then it became chinchona, which is the thing they use for malaria. And then it became coffee. And then in in the 1860s, the coffee plantations were destroyed. And they planted tea with cuttings from India. So the Sri Lankan tea plantation is relatively young. It's only 150 years old. (laughs) <laughs> whereas the Indian, the, Indian, the Indian plantations go back long before that. So that's, that's the background to it, the family background. And somewhere along the line, one generation of the company has always been involved in either growing or selling tea Wow! for six, uh, six generations now. Yeah. That's incredible. That's absolutely wild. So that's really the background. But Elmstock didn't get its its name until you came along and until you you started the company, yes. right? Okay. And so when when was that exactly? You said seventeen. So, well, what happened was what happened was I left uh, uh, Ceylon or Sri Lanka in nineteen seventy one, and I came here and went to uni, and did my accountancy exams, and then worked mm. in the wool trade for ten years. The wool trade is a lot like the tea trade. Even the catalogs or the auctions are almost identical. How so? Well, the, the format of the catalogs, when I first saw a wool catalog, it was identical to the tea catalogs that they use at auctions. It's, it's just a British legacy. Mm, mm. So, um, so I was in the, in the wool trade for, for about eight or nine years when I suddenly realized that the wool companies were importing tea. Amazing. And that's where I started. And we've tried your great grandfather's tea, which um, right. I know was from the plantation in Sri Lanka. Yeah. But has a long-running history of your family always been in Western Australia? No, no. Uh, though one of my great, three of my great grandfathers were in tea. One was a doctor. The fourth one was a doctor. 
So, um, so three of them came to salon to, to, to either grow tea or coffee. One of the guys actually migrated to Western Australia in 1910. I didn't know that. He had left the family behind and ventured to Australia, and he came here. So, but that was totally coincidental. So we came here in 1971 after some turbulent political issues. And uh, after eight or nine years, I, I realized that there was a, a market for tea and started it from scratch alongside my accounting practice. Amazing. So um, we started small and we grew from there. Can you tell us more about the, the early days of Elmstock Tea, what, what that was like and sort of what, I guess, inspired you, perhaps even like very interested in even just like the ins and outs of how you went about selling tea in the early days. Okay. I imagine it's grown a lot, for example, in size. I'm sure it was a much smaller business when you first started. Well, our first shipment in was for 400 pounds sterling. That's how small it was. And um, what I realized was that the tea coming in was really not of fairly good quality. It was pretty ordinary. And that history goes back about 10 or 15 years when the big multinationals dumped tea down and started putting it in tea bags. Mm. Um, not all tea bags are bad, but when you start mixing the tea bags with bad tea to get volume <laughs> in, in, the, in the tea bag, you get all sorts of things done. Some of the big uh, multinationals cost their tea bags to four decimal points of a cent. Wow. That's how precise it is. And that's why they can sell a tea bag for four cents at a supermarket. Mm. Because they bring tea from all over and make a blend up. So I, I realized there was a there was a, a a place there for good quality tea. And I started small. And it took some shoe leather to convince people to, to carry the tea. <laughs> but the thing that really helped us was that in the bush, they like good tea, good, good quality tea. And Dalgetty's, which were a company that operated in, in Australia in the 1880s and 1890s, actually owned tea plantations in Salon. So they used to bring the tea from those plantations into their country stores and sell it. So they, the, the country areas liked good tea. And through my wool connections, I sold tea into the country stores of Elders, Dalgetty's, um, now it's called Landmark. And it went, so essentially 90% of my tea went into the bush. That's how we started. That gave us a base. And we still, it's still a big part of our business. If you go to one of the country towns, into one of the the uh, the distribution centers, you'll buy our tea there. That's incredible. Mm. And it spikes during sharing season. During sharing season, it spikes. Because the sharers want, want their cuppa, their smoker. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I really love and and that you've really keyed on to there is how much, you know, everyday people have a really strong, especially in Australian and British uh, kind of, you know, labour history, you know, the, the working class people, even though they're everyday folks, they have a really specific and vested interest in good quality tea. A lot of a lot of people yes. who, as you said, like shearers and and craftspeople, you know, they won't they won't settle for supermarket tea. Right, right. So so that was the background. We decided early on not to go into supermarkets because uh, they wanted shelf space money. 
and I didn't have it. I didn't have two, three million dollars, which they wanted. So <laughs> we left that to the big players, and um, we started selling um, through through the country stores of these uh, these wool companies and specialty coffee and tea distributors, which we still do. Mm. But it's grown. We stick to the good the good quality end of the market. Mm. So I can buy a tea called, within inverted commas, English breakfast for half the price. And I'll make more profits, but it won't be as good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so can you describe for us now what Elmstock is like today then in, in contrast to that? Well, we over the years, what we did was we started off with salon teas and, and the regional salon teas. Because each region has a different flavor. Each month has a different flavor. So a particular district like Dimbola would have a season where the tea is really premium. That's post-monsoon and pre-monsoon. Teas taste totally different. On the same bush, manufactured the same way. It's totally different. So we know when to buy, where to buy it. And our English breakfast and Pico blends, as distinct from our single estate teas, are blended to a recipe or a formula. The reason for that is that the teas that's packed in October, which is post-monsoon, should taste almost as almost the same as the tea packed pre-monsoon in April. And the blenders do that by just altering the recipe slightly. There are 24 teas that go into our English breakfast blend. 24. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That's ridiculous. <laughs> that's to keep the consistency. We, we've already tried all of the teas that were sent to us from Elmstock, as you know. Right. They, ca- they came to us very early and we've gone through them all already. And, I mean, we, we, have, we have our own favourites. I'm, I'm very curious as to which, which ones do you think from your selection capture the essence of Elmstock the best? I mean, the great-grandfathers comes to mind for me because you've got such a strong history with your Ceylon teas, but maybe, I don't know, maybe there's something else. I'll tell you how I found found the great grandfather's tea. One of the best places for tea is Paris. The Paris tea houses have the best teas in the world. Mm. And they pay they pay exorbitant prices for the best teas at the best season and they bring it in. So I go to Mariage Frères on the left bank to have a cup of tea, and they have these premium salons. And I look at it, and Diagama Estate was one of the teas. And that's the plantation that my great-grandfather started in 18. He was one of the guys who founded it, using elephants to clean the, the clear them, wow. clear the, uh, clear the, uh, clear the hillsides to plant the tea. Incredible. <laughs> and there's leopards, yeah. There's, no there's way. leopards there still. To this day, leopards yeah. are found up because right up in the mountains. Mm. And the other day, they, they, they caught a leopard on the, on Diagama plantation just last month. So it was pretty wild country, and these mm. guys came in, cleared the land, and planted the tea. So I, when I saw Diagama, I said, "I thought if, if these guys, we, uh, you know, look at Diagama so highly, it must be good." So I, uh, you know, it was just an estate to me that they, we once, we once, my grandfather, great grandfather once ran, and uh, that was, you know, a hundred years ago. So I brought it in and called it great grandfather's tea, and that's a. a a single estate, typical with inverted commas, full-bodied salon tea, but it, it varies depending on which month I bring it in and which year it is. 
And that's the beauty of single estate is it's never the same. Mm. There is a similarity, but it's never quite identical. You mentioned um, height, and, and that brings up a really interesting question that I've never asked anyone and always wanted to. Height has a huge effect on coffee, I know, depending on, on altitude. Um, it can have really significant effects on caffeine in the coffee beans once they're harvested. What are the effects that um, height or lack of height have effect on, um, on black tea? Simply um, uh, a flavour flavor issue. Hmm. It's simply a flavor issue. The, the high-grown teas, like the Darjeeling's or, or the, the high-grown salons, have got a subtlety about it. They're, they're, not, they're not as harsh as, for example, the Assam's or the low-grown or mid-grown salons. So it's simply a matter of taste. They're more delicate, for, for want of a better word. Um, but you can get them fairly, fairly full-bodied and strong as well. But, but they have a subtlety about it. Where the low-grown teas tend to be a little more sort of malty, little little sort of punchier, and um, uh, so there's a difference in flavour essentially. But it's all tea. Whether you grow tea at sea level or whether you grow it at at six thousand feet above mm. sea level, it's still from the same bush. That's amazing. It's where it's grown and how it's processed that gives you the difference in flavour. And I think actually that's exactly the same as it is with coffee. I think it's, it's exactly the same, um, the same effect. More subtle, the higher you go up, and more harsh, yep. the lower you go down, or more yep. strong as well, robust. Mm. Yeah, but, but also it depends on the soil. Mm. I mean, it's, it's talk about wine and terroir. It's the soil, the rainfall, the climatic conditions, how it's processed, all that adds, you know, contributes to flavor or lack of it yeah and you a lot of the, the things you've spoken about uh, sort of are reminiscent of you know wine and the sort of process of creating wine um would you do you have a favorite vintage of tea then do you have like sort of again to draw a comparison there yeah the it's really the, the month of the year in which it's picked the first flush darjeeling's which is picked in spring um is really quite special mm. The autumnal Darjeeling's just before winter comes in have also got their own characteristic. They're nice. The Ceylons, they pick Ceylon teas right through the year. But the, the, again, the first shoots uh, just after the monsoon rains are nice. Um, the, uh, we have an afternoon tea which comes from the eastern slopes of the mountains. And that's totally different to the Dimula teas, which are only about 40 miles away, but different sides of the mountain. They get different rainfall and different winds. So it, it gives you the difference in, in, in flavor, taste, and aroma. Mm. So uh, do I have a favorite? I drink a lot of Indian teas, even though I come from Sri Lanka. I like uh, <laughs> the, the Indian uh, jasmine and oolong teas. Um, the the Darjeeling's are my favorite. I like I like a good Darjeeling tea, um, and and of course the the great grandfather's style of Ceylon tea is one I like. But the aroma of mm. a good tea is is one that is missing with a, for, with a lot of the teas you get get these days. And freshness is important. The the sooner you drink the tea after it's picked, the better it is. It doesn't age mm. like wine, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so if uh, so, when a, so you got to be snappy. Yeah, when a shipment comes in, I'll grab a packet 
and open it and see yeah. it. because that's it's been on the bush just six eight weeks before yeah so, um, that's as fresh as you get it we have two questions that we always ask every guest that we get on the show. Now, the first is um, a, a travel story. Now, admittedly, you've already told us your gorgeous Paris story, but do you have any other? I, I'm a big travel junkie, so this is why right. this is my favorite question. Had, do you have any um, any places you've been around the world specifically related to your profession as a as a tea person? Um, so somewhere that you've gone. In, in relation to tea and, and an amazing travel story that maybe that maybe we might like to hear. Well, it, the, the Sri Lankan plantations, are, I've had some good visits up there as a boy to plantations run by, you know, run and own and by the family. Uh, as, an, as a young adult to, to tea plantation bungalows were occupied by friends of mine, but we had wild parties. And, uh, <laughs> and that sort of stuff, um, but no, I, I think my favorite travel, tea travel story, would be into Paris. I walked the streets of Paris many times, looking for little tea houses, and uh, the the best tea salons are found in Paris. They do it with with a lot of class, a lot of the ambience is incredible, and they know their tea in Europe, in Germany and France. They know their good teas. So you can always get a good cuppa uh, in in Paris. So the tea salons of Paris hard to beat. That's my story. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. It's very interesting that there's like a, um, you know, tea is particularly as Australians being sort of you know connected to Britain. Um, you know, we we associate tea so much with the British people, but then to hear that you know across the <laughs> across the pond, <laughs> France is actually doing it better. You know. <laughs> But it makes sense. They're so they're so um, enamoured with luxury in France. Exactly, hmm. exactly. And and the best tea merchants or tea trading houses are in Germany. Oh, Hamburg, hmm. Hamburg. We bring we bring our our Indian teas and our Chinese, a lot of our Chinese teas from Germany. We pay more as hmm. a result, but you get what you're sure of is that there's no rubbish in it. So they buy the best. <laughs> they buy the best. There's no pesticides because the EU pesticide regime is as high as you get. In Australia, we don't have much of it. Mm. So I, I'm prepared to pay that extra to get it from someone who I know is getting the genuine article. By the way, you know, the twice as much Darjeeling tea sold in the world as produced. Figure that. Mm. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of counterfeit out there. Yeah, that's incredible. I can I can sell you sell you a salon tea that'll taste a lot like a first flush Darjeeling, and the average punter wouldn't know that. And I would charge him first flush Darjeeling prices, and I'll get away with it. But we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. don't I do never that would have picked that. that there would be counterfeit tea on the market. That's that's yep. incredible. I I, I think is. that's that's a wonderful story. There is, yeah. Um, do you do you have any sort of I guess insight or stories into what sort of things they were like they would use as counterfeit tea. Uh, is it just other tea varieties, or is it other other things entire entirely? Yes, other other tea varieties, and also they blend down. So you can get a first flush Darjeeling and mix it with a a cheaper, say, um, Malaysian tea or something like that. But if they if they're going to call it a Darjeeling, they'll probably pick a good one, a, a good one to mix it with. So you have a Darjeeling that's sold at 
say, $200 a kilo, mm. and you have a, a, a salon tea that's sold at $80 a kilo, yeah, and you blend it, and you've got the average price down to $140. That's and amazing. You mm. And you call it Darjeeling. Now, we get our Darjeelings in the original packing sacks, so we know the provenance. And the Germans, you know, who, who we've known for years, you know, they won't hear of cheatings and because Nigel went and worked there, so they're friends. And, uh, you know, they tell us, we've got some good tea, do you want us to put it away for you? And we say, yeah. Mm. So that happens. So it's the tea trade generally is fairly good, but there's always someone who'll come and test the borders, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I just can't believe that there's a high flying crime life in tea. I I'm I, I love that. I think that's so much fun. Um oh, we can swap it for because we've swapped it for opium in the past, so what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes. So um I guess one other question that we always ask is about a personal story with tea. Have you ever had anything really um profoundly personal happen in your life that was tea-related? Maybe somebody that you met or your first time watching, um, you said, you know, the the business is still run in the family, so maybe the first time you saw your kids drinking tea or I don't I don't, I don't know, but, um, yeah, so, so something personal. Well, as, 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 a, uh, as a kid, um, you know, we'd go up to the tea plantations to relatives from Colombo where we were, up into the hill country, a beautiful hill country for holidays. So the train would wind up through the mountains. You would met. You go from thirty degree humid heat in Colombo to about a twenty two degree, twenty degree cool climate up in the hills. And my first memory of a tea, of, of the tea plantations are beautiful to watch. But the thing that sticks in my mind as a young person is the smell of tea being processed in the in the tea processing factory. That fresh uh, aroma of almost like cut grass, but it sort of it sort of just seeps into your system. It's a beautiful smell and aroma. And uh, I remember that. That's vividly etched in my memory. So that's my memory of a tea experience as a, as a young person. But the French tea salons, well, what better place to have a cup of tea? And w- mm. when you smell that, if you ever go back and visit there now or, or any time in, in the recent past, when you smell that smell, do you feel like you're a little boy again? Of course. Of course. But yeah. a very interesting thing, people walk into our warehouse and they say, my God, this is an amazing aroma, smell, and we can't taste it. We're desensitized to it. <laughs> of course. But if I go away yeah. for a holiday for what, three or four, four or five weeks and come back, then I smell it in our warehouse. But every day, being there every day, you're mm. totally desensitized. But the smell of tea in a, in a plant, on a plantation, on a, in a tea processing plant, is something unique. Freshness. Yeah. So on your website, you have a section called Stories of Tea. What can you tell us about that? Right. Um, I did 52 oh, little wow. stories of tea, one for each week of the year. And I've right. tried to make it chatty and not technical. So what we've got there are, are little snippets. There are no more than two or three paragraphs on, on subjects, how to brew tea, uh, the, how the, the, the flavors of tea vary, why tea flavor, flavors vary, 
the different countries that grow tea. So there are 52 of them. And you, you can go in and click on it, and it's called Stories of Tea. And they've all got different subject, different little subjects, even up to climate change, how it affects tea. Oh, um, wow. Even things like, wow. um, um, like, you know, tea bags as against leaf tea, size of the leaf. It's all in there. But it's, again, it's for the layman. It's not technical, not technical and not written for professionals. So you find it quite chatty, and it'll it'll what it's meant to do is get your mind thinking and ask questions. Mm. Well, yeah, I'd I'd love to hear more about uh, how climate change affects wow. affects tea. Well, I first heard thing about twenty years ago. I just thought this is you know okay, you know monsoons some years are stronger than the others. But what has happened is most of the tea grown in the world is grown around the Indian Ocean Rim. And our mm. weather in this area, now in, living in Perth, you know, we experience it. It has changed. In, over the last 25 years, it has changed. The monsoons that go into East Africa and Asia have changed. They come later. They finish earlier. They're more intense in that they're not the incessant rain we used to get, like we used to get before, but it's it comes in short, sharp, stormy bursts, causing floods and erosion of soil. So that's one physical thing that gets affected. But the but the uh, the uncertainty of the monsoons has affected the growing of tea, and that affects flavor. So while the production hasn't changed, the flavor has changed. Mm. And I thought this was okay, that's fine, mm. this is what guys are saying. Until I heard a wine grower from the Barossa say exactly the same thing. He says the weather patterns mm. have changed, the droughts are causing different flavors to come through, and the climate change has affected the taste of wine in the Barossa Valley. And, I, you know, we've seen the difference in flavors over the years. It happens. And there's no doubt that the mm. the monsoon, the change of monsoon weather or the type of weather you get in the monsoon has affected uh, flavors of tea. And it's going to affect us even mm. more. There's more erosion as a result. So more tea bushes are become less productive. So, um, yeah, climate change is, is, is real. Uh, half, I went to Kenya. Half of Kenya was in drought and half was in, um, in flood. Mm. If the sea levels don't prove it, you can always trust that the tea leaves will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, have a have a read through the stories of tea. I'm sure you'll find subjects that are interesting yeah. for what you guys are doing and take yeah, it from absolutely. there. Absolutely. Great. Well, thank you so much, Hilary, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. It's been a joy. Always, always there for you guys. Call anytime. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Look, we we might do that once we get yeah. once we get a little further in. We might touch base again. I saw your um, your podcast. You got Jane Pettigrew first up. That was great. Yeah, she she's knowledgeable. Oh, you know Jane? I've met her at a couple <laughs> of shows over the years. Yeah, she's wonderful. She was the very first person we reached out to, and she was so yeah, yeah that was good, friendly and accommodating, just like you. Thank you for that. Thank you nice so much. You. Be in touch. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Wow. Wow. I mean, <laughs> that was remarkable. I always get this warm, fuzzy feeling whenever we talk to anybody who's like a master mm. of, of 
history and craft with this incredible, you know, with this incredible lineage behind them. I got it when we talked to Jane. Um, I got it when we talked to Lisa and I've gotten it again now as well. And it's just this, it's this really kind of, you know, you feel like you're a part of something. Um, Absolutely. And it's just so special that that knowledge is being passed on and carried down. Yeah. And I guess not to pat ourselves on the back, but like, you know, preserved now. <laughs> but yeah, I think, and also just what a, what a remarkable person and like, what a great conversation. Like, I absolutely would love to talk to him another time. And what an incredible history in one, like, to be 17 and, mm. you know, that's he's, he said he's got more than 55 years personally experience in tea. Yeah. And that's just Not wild. Not to mention the to hundreds of years his family has been involved in tea. Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. Great. Well, I guess let's let's get into drinking. I love drinking. Let's take a short break and we'll come back in a minute. Here we go. Three teas. Tea tasting time. Yeah. I don't know why I just said that like Pauline Hanson, but I did. Uh, <laughs> nothing good can come from this now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I, I just thought about explaining to anyone who's not in Australia who Pauline Hanson is. And then I just thought, I really don't want to go down that road today. Yeah. I just, I don't need that in my life, you know? Mm. So, mm. if you want to look up Pauline Hanson, you can. <laughs> I would recommend that you have a stiff drink with you before you do. Maybe um, an, an Irish tea. <laughs> <laughs> a hot toddy, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> um. <laughs> Jumping straight into it. <laughs> All right, what have we got with us today? So, we've got two teas from, uh, from Herbtastic, who mm. we tried a couple of weeks ago. And then we've also got another one from... Uh, from TZU. Uh, yeah. Which I think we should probably leave to last. I, I don't know. Oh, no, let's do it first. I changed my mind completely. Let's do it first. Yeah. Okay, so. Well, it's a green tea, so mm. I did it at 80 degrees, so I think I want to drink it first before it starts to go that's, cold. That's a good point. <laughs> um, this tea is the Empress Garden. Um, it contains green tea, jasmine, rose, and osmanthus. For those who don't know, Osmanthus is those little yellow flowers that sometimes appear in tea. So this was beautiful coming out of the packet. Um, mm, it looked gorgeous. Yeah, didn't it has it? all these like little mini rosebuds and flowers and things in it, and smells delish. But I don't know. I guess my mm-hmm. um, my assumption is that it's going to just taste like a jasmine green tea. <laughs> um, it's which is not a bad thing. Just I just don't know. I'm just not expecting anything to like explode in my mouth or whatever. Um, ooh, gross. Boom boom. <laughs> Have you ever mixed um, jasmine tea and rose before? On my own. (laughs) I have. There used to be, again, I hate that I'm bringing up T2 as much as I am, but they used to sell this like kind of like gift packet thing where they would sell their their pure rose. I think it was called Just Rose and it was literally just rose rose buds and petals with their jasmine. And then they would be like, mix them together, see what happens. And it's really good. Um, So I'm very excited for this because I'm, I'm expecting it'll be delicious. Yeah, so this is obviously green tea, 80 degree water, goes with green tea. And this is a very short steeping time of one to two minutes. So um, 
obviously don't let this one become bitter and over steep. Mm-hmm. All right. Shall we give it a red hot go? Let us. Mm, smells good. Mm. I like it. I like it. <laughs> God, that, we both sound so indifferent. Okay, hang on. No, no. I think it's really pleasant. Mm. It's very subtle. I, in all honesty, let mine steep a bit longer than two minutes. Yeah, mine, mine was closer good. to three and it is, yeah, it's good. I, I'm glad that I, I pushed it a little bit because it was looking quite faint. That's the thing. The colour, mm. I don't know about you, but mine is even still a very, very, very light yellow. It's, it's quite clear. Um, so it's Mine, certainly mine's not- in a dark cup, so I couldn't tell you what colour it is. But... Um, <laughs> But actually, I recall from the from the tea maker I was making it in that it it mm. was quite pale. Mm. Um, I think it smells so good, and I think if if you kind of can like smell smell it as you drink it, it like improves it. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay, hang on. Mm-hmm. I kind of see what you mean. Um, <laughs> I think I that's where the rose say- comes in. I am actually with you in that it does kind of just taste like a, a decent jasmine. Um, mm. I think the reason I'm ha- a bit harsh on this is because it's from TZU. And they've been so, like, everything's been incredible. And they've been, yeah, incredible and, like, mind-blowingly different. And whereas this for me is just, it's just a really solid tea. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's good. I, I actually have nothing negative to say about it. Yeah. I'm just not raving about how amazing it is like I usually would with a TZUT. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's like, yeah, I mean, I we probably just haven't tried many TZUTs that are just like a standard variation on a, on a standard tea, you know? Totally. Like, but they, yeah. they, they they do those well, you know, the, it is mm. the, a good standard. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, we never give number ratings, but, like, this is definitely still, like, you know, a 7 out of 10 or something. Mm. It's just that pretty much everything else we've had from there has been, like, 9 or 10. <laughs> I mean, this is the place that made popcorn tea, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Solid 10 out of 10 for the popcorn all along. Yeah. That's what they should call it. They I don't should. know why they call it Jinshuan when they could call it popcorn all along. Well, aren't they? Uh, mm. Is it part of their their mission statement to do like teas from their places of origin? So I think that's potentially why yes. it's called the traditional. <laughs> nah, call it. Po- I don't care. Call it popcorn. <laughs> mm. Okay, this is good. This is you know it's solid, but I'm ready to move on. Yes, agree. Right, solid offering from TZU to to her heartburn. Yes, so this one's from Herbtastic as well. What can you t- so you may remember about two weeks ago we tried their detox tea, um, mm. and now we've got their heartburn tea. So what can you tell yes. us about the heartburn tea? So heartburn tea contain is smells very much just like mint tea, but contains spearmint leaf, lemon balm leaf, chamomile flowers, marshmallow root, and raspberry leaf. Um, I'm so excited for marshmallow root. <laughs> right, it sounds so cute. But um, fun fact about raspberry leaf. Is that it's really good if you're pregnant? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> what for? Do you know? <laughs> I just remember it from um, working at T two. 
uh, they had they had a raspberry leaf tea specifically, and I was like, "Ooh, raspberry!" And they're like, mm, "It's really for pregnant women." <laughs> um, so it may strengthen the uterine walls and decrease labor time in pregnant women and relieve premenstrual symptoms in women in general. Huh? Intake should be limited in early pregnancy <laughs> to one cup, but yeah, later on, one to three cups a day. I, I when I was working at T two, they would be like, "Oh, you're pregnant. You should have this raspberry leaf tea." Um, to like induce labor. <laughs> oh my. Okay. <laughs> That's a bold claim, but you know, we'll, yeah. we'll let them run with it. Yeah. I don't think that was T2's official line. It was just my coworker. <laughs> Excellent. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is a herbal tea completely. So it's boiling water. You want to boil that water and get as much flavor out as possible. Uh, at least five minutes steeping time. But honestly, mine's still in there from when I made it probably about 10 minutes ago at this point. So um, all good if you just want to let it sit in there and sip. Mm, Let's do it. I'm very excited. I I have to say I'm very partial to a spearmint over a peppermint. It's always exciting Mm. to me when people go with spearmint instead. All right, let's let's give this a go. Ooh. Mm. It's a late bloomer. You have to wait a, hot, wait a hot second for it to actually have flavor. Yeah, at first it kind of, it just feels like a pretty generic spearmint tea. But then you get... Mm. I mean, I can definitely taste spearmint and I like it. But, and chamomile actually. I can, mm. I can, I can feel that. Yeah, the chamomile, the chamomile and the spearmint obviously go really nicely together. I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I'm detecting anything else. The other, the other flavors in there seem pretty, pretty subtle. I really wanted to taste lemon balm leaf. That's what I was really looking looking forward to. I was like, oh mm. yeah, lemon spearmint chamomile. That's going to be delish. But I've got like spearmint chamomile, but no lemon balm. Yeah, that's pretty much all I'm getting as well. It's nice. It. Um, oh, totally. Something that I'm finding is pretty common among a lot of these teas is that, like, you know, I get my hopes up and then <laughs> they end up kind of tasting very similar to a lot of other teas, which is fine. You know, that's that's kind of how 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 this game goes. But, yeah, I think I think when you see something and it's like spearmint and chamomile and those two ingredients are at the front of the list for an obvious reason, like they are going to be the main the main flavors in there. But, yeah. When you see really exotic stuff like marshmallow root and raspberry leaf, you kind of get your expectations up for something that's going to be really different. Mm. And yeah, I, I think again, much much like much like a lot of lemon myrtle teas that we've tried, this one kind of just sits in a very similar place for me. Yeah, I think it, it's yeah, it's a, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like it's good, and like I guess where specifically on a quest to find new and interesting teas that we've never tasted before. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, if you're just like the everyday person buying a tea that is for heartburn, then what do you like? That's fine. This tastes good and it's going to help your heart. Totally. You know? Yeah. And I can see how this would be good for like reflux and whatnot. Hmm. Cause it is, it is very, it is very settling. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, marshmallow root, like it would- it's supposed to help with pain and swelling and inflammation and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, this one, yeah, this one for me is also, you know, again, a, a fine offering. Mm. I, I, 
I don't have I don't have any any complaints. It's a it's a lovely tea. Yeah, it's all right. I have to say it's interesting because the next one we're about to try is called Snooze, mm. and I'm thinking about this heartburn tea, and I'm like, I would definitely have this before bed. Yeah, I was thinking it too. I'm like, it's very calming and relaxing. But which again, you know, the spearmint and the chamomile, like that's that's those at play. So I'll be very interested to see what the difference is with the snooze tea. Yeah, and the snooze tea. Uh, to be honest, I I think we're in store for another good stock offering. Um, I think it's just going to be a good chamomile. Um, so the ingredients are organic chamomile um, with lemon balm leaf again. So it will be interesting to see if that pops up. Passion flower, lavender flowers, and skull cap leaf. I don't know anything about skull cap leaf, but I don't know anything about skull cap leaf either. That's interesting. I'm very excited for passion, passion and lavender. Yeah. Well, again, but again, it's like they say these things. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, it's like marshmallow root doesn't taste like marshmallows necessarily. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, skull, skull cap is a native American plant. Uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a plant that's native to North America. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about it, but, um, apparently when you, yeah, when you dry the leaves or the stems, they can be used, uh, as herbal medication for anxiety, stress, and insomnia, which would make sense for this tea. So the name is derived from the Latin word scatella, which means little dish because the flowers of these plants have a dish or helmet like shape. Mm. So let's, let's give it a bit of a whiff. Mm-hmm. It smells like chamomile. It smells more robust, though. I'm kind of surprised that this one actually smells more intense than the heartburn one did. Mm, it smells delicious is what it smells. It does. Shall we? Shall. Ooh. Barracuda. Barracuda, indeed. Okay. Okay, girl. I like this. This, for me, is much more interesting than the last one. Yeah. I feel like maybe I can taste lemon balm leaf. I can definitely taste the lavender. Oh, for sure. That's what that is. Yeah. yeah, it's like if you breathe in afterwards as well, the lavender's totes there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the lavender is is thing number two coming through for me. Yeah. The chamomile is obviously the main one, but, mm. yeah, I love that. Mm. Yeah. And the lavender kind of just sticks on your tongue once you've, like, once, you, once you've, um, finish drinking, if you just kind of sit there, the lavender is the thing that you can just kind of feel just just hanging around. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I really like this. Me too. Although, oddly enough, I think I would r- prefer to drink the heartburn tea as like a sleepy tea. I, I see what you're getting at. Mm. And I think it's because this is going to sound so crazy. This feels heavier. It does. No, it absolutely does. The, okay, great. The, the heartburn <laughs> one, I was like, yes, so light, uh, so fresh. It's like clearing me, clearing my sinuses out and ready to go to sleep. And this one, I'm like, ooh, it's like quite dark, you know? Mm. Like this is like, 
I wouldn't have this just before bed. I would have this at like eight o'clock. We've just had dinner. Now we're sitting around and we're chatting. Mm. I mean, in fairness, the instructions on the packet, which by the way, again, boiling water because it's herbal, five minutes more, um, is to drink one to two cups after dinner. So I don't know if that just means, you know, at night time before you go to sleep or if it's specifically like an after dinner drink because it would actually go well with as like a sort of after meal thing. It's kind of like kind of, you know yeah, what I mean? It's a, yeah, a bit yeah. nutritious, like it's a bit like foodie. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then like you you finish it and let it work its lethargic magic on you over the span of a couple of hours. Yeah, I think we're going to be pretty sleepy this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Because we I can are... definitely feel a nap, a nap coming on. <laughs> We've just had a lot of chamomile, <laughs> a yeah. lot of florals. Yeah, this is okay. I'm going to call it. I think this is my winner for the day. Um. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I have no idea. I think just because I really enjoyed the spearmint, I want to go for heartburn. Hmm. Should I go back round well, and taste go. them all again? Yeah, it's kind of hard, isn't it? You you don't want to... Hang on. No, mm, you know what? I like the heartburn. Oh, I'm going back to Empress Garden. Empress Garden's my winner today. Wow, okay, excellent. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I think the lavender, I think the lavender in this one is really speaking to me. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this snooze tea. It's, it's nice to come across stuff with lavender because I don't... I don't find it in tea very often. And also I have to say lavender is hard to do well in in food. You know? Yeah. I have I've bought stuff from lavender farms before, like lavender soaps and lavender and there, I tried like a lavender vinegar once and that was just Ooh. weird. And there's lots of stuff that people put lavender in. It just doesn't work. Like lavender ice cream. Whereas this tea. Yeah, no, lavender ice cream's great though. I've actually never had it to be honest. Um I just know it's weird. It's really weird. I just know about it from the Meryl Street film. It's complicated. <laughs> I have no memory um, of that scene, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I only remember food in movies to be. Anyway. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah. No, I agree. It's sort of like salted caramel in that it's like a bit of a gimmick, mm-hmm. but not, not, not many people actually make it well. Correct. You know? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's a hot take. We're going to get angry letters about that. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> well, I guess that brings us to the end of this week. It does. What a week as well. What a week indeed. And what an amazing chat. I honestly, I, I yeah, that could be one of my favorite interviews that we've done so far. Me too. I think, is it my favorite episode perhaps? <gasps> oh, I don't know. I was really happy with our British identity episode. That one was really fun true i'm happy with our future episodes (laughs) yes i was gonna say at what point do we stop tooting our own horn uh never so (laughs) as always you can uh you can check us out on social media i'm michael mandelios on instagram and twitter i am at hayden rogers on those things as well we are at steeping podcast on instagram and facebook and of course you can follow us at patreon.com slash that's not canon if you want to support the podcast or if you want to support uh any of the other podcasts on the network and you can always email us at steeping podcast well not at steeping podcast but steeping podcast at gmail.com 
And of course, you can always find out more about Elmstock Tea at elmstocktea.com.au. Or you can visit their Instagram profile at Elmstock Tea uh, or find them on Facebook. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Tea Infinity and beyond. While You Were Steeping is a That's Not Canon Productions podcast. For more information, head to that'snotcanon.com. Canon with one N.